0: Hey, it's Ariel. If you're anything like me, you've probably watched shows like Yellowstone or 1883, and you yearn for those big mountain skies and -and rough-and-tumble lifestyle out on the range. But you also probably know there's more to the cowboy lifestyle than meets the eye. Today on the podcast, I'm sharing a fascinating story about real cowboys and the truth about ranching with the help of my friend and acclaimed journalist, Melody Edwards, who hosts the Peabody-nominated podcast, The Modern West. Produced by PRX and Wyoming Public Media, The Modern West is a sound-rich series that surveys the evolving identity of the American West. I'm sharing the first episode of The Modern West's newest season, where Melody explores different kinds of cowboys. From those who chase the dream of becoming the next rodeo star, to the hard-working and sometimes intimidating ranchers on the homestead. Along the way, Melody busts all sorts of myths about what it means to measure up to American ideals. And if you want to hear even more stories about the American West, make sure to subscribe to hear the latest season of the Modern West's podcast. New episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, NPR One, and wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, let's head out west.
1: What is it about cowboys? I mean, why is America, why is the whole world so fascinated by these guys? The actual cattle drive era only lasted a few decades in the middle of the 1800s. And those original drovers were nothing to make your heart patter. Usually illiterate, antisocial, and kind of stinky. But for some reason, it didn't matter. We loved them anyway. I know I did. Growing up, there were lots of cowboys hanging around our house. Like my dad's good old friend, Jake Heflin. It was like he'd stepped straight out of a Western. Well, he kind of did. The bow-legged walk, the cowboy hat curled low over the eyes. Every time our families got together, Jake made my dad get out his guitar He'd round up his two teenage daughters, Judy and Patty, to sing harmony, and they'd play music all night long.
2: Yeah, I can hear you Dude, you I'm leavin'
3: on that new river train. I'm leavin' on that new river train. The same old train that
2: brought.
1: You hear that scraggly voice? That's Jake, nary a tooth in his head, a chain smoker. Jake was a horse trainer, and he helped us buy our horses. Then my dad, an urban Midwestern kid, decided to teach himself how to break a colt with the help of Jake. We called that horse the Black, a beautiful, big-boned Morgan. I can't help but think my dad was aspiring to be as cool as Jake. He just emanated authenticity, My mom was a wannabe cowgirl from Iowa who drew horse pictures and read Western pulp novels growing up. I think it's why they ended up moving us to Walden, a tiny ranching and logging town in northern Colorado, surrounded by Purple Mountain's majesty. My earliest memory? Taking a bath in the kitchen sink and the black sticking his head through the window and my mom giving me a carrot to feed him. My parents weren't ranchers, but they sometimes worked for them. That's not why we had a horse, though. The black was a very large pet. My dad made him a cowboy hat with holes for his ears to go through. One time, he walked right into the living room and took a crap on my little brother's blankie. You've never seen such a mortified kid. Living close to horses was a way of life for most people we knew back then. Maybe that was a little too close, but with horses came cowboys and a dewy-eyed admiration. At those late-night jam sessions, Jake would often call my brother and me over to sing a song, too. I always felt like his attention was a blinding spotlight. When Jake asked you to do something, you just couldn't help it. He put a spell on you. You jumped to it. But not everyone was so entranced.
4: Hello.
1: Anybody here? You guys, want in? Are you coming in? My mom and I are visiting Jake's daughter Judy on her small ranch a few miles outside of Walden. Judy's grown daughter Jamie sits with us at the dining table too. Her son TJ playing with his puppy nearby. It's winter, and it's hard to take your eyes off her view of the hayfields against the Sierra Madres. Judy gets to reminiscing about her dad.
4: Well, he was born in Saginaw, Texas. I know that. And he was, you know, he went to, um, started rodeoing probably at a pretty early age. When
1: he was 16, he rode a bull in Madison Square Garden, where he became the fourth best bull rider in the world.
4: I think he left school in eighth grade. And I think he, at one point, was just trying to get away from family situations and stuff like that.
1: He followed the rodeo all the way into some Elvis movies, working as a stuntman in films like Love Me Tender. Back then, Westerns were anything but politically correct.
4: In the fifties they were making movies, left and right Western movies. And he would always be some like wild Indian or something, you know, going off of a He was he was call?
5: the 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 female lead. He played her. And he was in a dress when he jumped <laughs> off of a cliff.
4: That's what he said, yeah.
5: Yeah. And, and he was... had
4: to jump off a cliff. On a horse. On a horse. Yeah.
1: Judy was a middle child in a brood of six. But life wasn't easy with Jake as your dad.
4: He loved to just hit the road. And mm-hmm. and if you just load up the kids and everything, you own know, in the back of the truck and, and what you can't carry, you leave behind and...
1: But when Judy was in her late teens, they moved to Walden to train draft horses for the Grizzly Ranch, managed by some friends of ours. Judy fell hard for the ranch manager, Jim Elliott.
4: His world, the respect that people gave him, you know, um, just like because I don't feel like I had that with my dad. So it was easy to um, fall into that world. And then I, so I really fell in love with his world. And his draft horses. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> but Jake didn't like Judy hooking up with Jim. Plus, that itch to mosey along came over him.
4: For whatever reason, he decides he wants to go to Dumas, Texas and work in the feedlots. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> uh, it's not, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. And my dad um, and Patty, my sister, who was all that was living here at the time, my mom was still in Roosevelt working. I I never spoke to him again. Really? Yeah. It was only a
1: few years later that Jake died young, only in his early 60s. But Judy had discovered a new life. I remember Judy and Jim's wedding in the living room of their ranch house. None of her family attended.
4: I didn't really love everything about Dad's life. You know, when we were at the racetrack, sleeping in horse trailers and, you know, not having a home. You know, so it's nice having a roof over your head. (laughs) Yeah. And, you know, and, and Dad never really was a rancher. He was a, he was a rolling stone, (laughs) where Jim was more of a rancher, you know, and that's the life I fell in love with, the ranching life. I love everything about it.
1: The ranch life. This season of the Modern West we're gonna push back our hats and look deep into the fiery sun that's the epicenter of all things American West. Because just like Jake was a mystery, a rolling stone, not exactly a rancher, well, I think there's a lot we don't understand about cowboys and what they're really about. Like why as Americans we need the cowboy so bad in the first place? And where did this cowboy come from anyway? And how do we decide who gets to be included in the cowboy identity? And who doesn't? And another thing, how has our obsession with cows and cowboys led to problems with how we raise these animals on the land? Is this way of life economically viable, anyway? Maybe it's time to let the cowboy change, grow up. Maybe, just maybe, it's time to let him ride off into the sunset. From Wyoming Public Media and PRX, This is The Modern West, exploring the evolving identity of the American West. I'm Melody Edwards. (music) Jim Hoy is a guy who knows a thing or two about the cowboy myth.
3: Myths are essential to a people. You have to have myths to believe in. They help structure your life. They give you deep truths around which to structure
1: your life. Hoy is an American folklorist who grew up on a ranch in Kansas, and he's written a bunch of books about the cowboy. But even he isn't sure what all of the hullabaloo is about.
3: Why did the cowboy become America's major folk hero? And they are. If you want to be seen as American anywhere in the world, have a Stetson on your head and boots on your feet
1: says the Cowboy is so deeply baked into who we are as Americans that he's almost another mascot.
3: I would say the Cowboy is the third most recognizable aspect of America worldwide. The flag, the bald eagle, and the Cowboy.
1: But this blind adoration, it worries Hoy. He says it's time we take a good hard look at the realities behind this myth.
3: It seems to me that we shouldn't be to hide bound about them, that we should recognize this story is, how can that possibly be literally true? It's a great story, and it has hidden truth, a deep truth in it that helps us guide our lives in a a good way, but how could that possibly be literally true?
1: For one thing, Hoy says there's a serious contradiction in the cowboy mythology. When you look deeply, the cowboy is two legends, all tangled up into one.
3: But we made him into this cultural hero. Why? Now, you're going to get the sermon here, because we believe strongly in two things here in America. One, the rule of law, right? We believe firmly that no one should be above the law, that everyone should be treated equally above the law.
1: The sheriff with the gold star, right? But Hoy says the sheriff's alter ego is the exact opposite, an outlaw. And we love that side of the cowboy better.
3: How many folk songs are there about Wild Bill Hickok or Wyatt Earp or Bat Masterson? None. How many folk songs are there about Billy the Kid and Jesse James and Sam Bass, Bunches. The ordinary people celebrate outlaws. We give lip service to Law and Order.
2: Why ever,
3: why ever, brave,
2: courageous, and bold? Long live his fame, and long live his glory, and long may his story be told.
1: And it's not just our songs that reveal our bias.
3: In uh, The Virginian, the novel that... Seminole novel of the West. Uh, the Virginian is out on a, an expedition to catch horse thieves and hangs his best, his former best friend, without the benefit of a trial. Lynch law. Our sympathies are not with the guy that got lynched. They're with the Virginian. You I'm talking to. Grandpa,
5: I'm trying not to have any trouble with you. Just now. Yeah, you've been dodging us for five years. You've taken plenty of trouble to keep out of my way. But I got you corralled now, and I'm calling your hand. All right? What do you got? I got to believe you're a lying white livered scum. This country ain't big enough to hold the two of us. So I'm giving you the sundown to get out of
1: town. It's like we think of ourselves as so naturally virtuous that we don't need laws. We can govern ourselves without them. The Robin Hood mentality. And since we don't have to worry about right and wrong, we can spend all our time doing vigilante stuff like settling scores and defending individual rights. Jake was a great example. He didn't care about mandatory school attendance laws and took pleasure in yanking his kids out to move on to the next job. Boy says we love outlaws and vigilantes because, in our heart of hearts, Americans are radical free spirits.
3: And why has the cowboy become the epitome of that? Because he is an individualist. He's the de- called a great individualist. He uh, is bound to no person except his conscience is right. He does what's right, ideally.
1: And that's the key, ideally. The American cowboy is an idealization. Like Jake in his lady costume riding off a cliff, a lot of what it means to be a cowboy is a performance, a trick of the eye. It's not based on the real way of life of ranchers. When you read The Virginian, There isn't a single cow to be seen. Maybe it's because cows, man, they are a lot of work, let me tell you. One year, I worked on the hay crew with Judy on the grizzly. Her stepdaughter, Summer, and I were rakers. Judy was the baler. Day after day, I sat on an old blue 1950s tractor. You didn't get a day off unless it rained. Weeks went by. No rain.
4: I remember Melody would go by if if I had my tractor turned off. Because I was in the bay, uh, She'd just be singing at the top of her lungs. I could hear it. There's
1: no radio. There's nothing <laughs> oh, Believe me, I've sung a
4: mini mile out there. Yeah. And I, I really,
1: I like tracked down every song that was about rain <laughs> that I could possibly find.
4: Just like did not rain that whole song. Or the, the, then the... The, the, be a big rain cloud come, yes. I and it just like part. Yes. Summer called it Dad's parting powers, that <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like he could part the clouds. Because yeah. we, we were like, let's go, we'll yeah. get ready. You know, yes. we're like, get it done, get it done. And when you have a bunch of teenagers, while well, you guys are in college we but it, but we were like twenty. Yeah, and you're like, well, you didn't have the desire to get done like Jim and I did. Yeah, and we so just they, wanted days we, off. <laughs> That's right. We didn't care.
1: We didn't have a desire because we wanted a break from the unrelenting labor of ranching. And Jim was a demanding boss. While Jake always wanted to move on, Jim wanted to knuckle down. Nothing about Jim's version of the cowboy was a costume. The stained, sun-bleached hat, the soft voice, the cigarette dangling from his mouth, tough as nails. His daughter Jamie remembers that, too.
4: Yeah, well, growing up, I mean, he was a little intimidating. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I remember being with him, and, but it was definitely while you were working, while he was working. Yes. Like if he, and he did a lot of um, heavy equipment work, so if you, know, if you wanted to be with him, you had to go do that, where Jamie and I did a lot of the riding, the cowboying, and the you know, moving cattle and stuff like that, and so she did a lot of that with me.
1: Back then, they didn't even feed their cows with tractors. Every day. Even if it was 50 below, they'd use draft horses to pull a sleigh through the snow, pitching hay off of it. I remember going out one time. We went out with you guys to feed with those, the horses, and it was like, you know, snow. The snow was so deep. And it was so quiet, wasn't it? Oh, it was you so just quiet. hear the bells you on the, hear the horses. Bells. Yeah. It was like, you know, being in the North Pole or something. It felt yeah, like it.
4: Like, but it, it felt like heaven. I got yeah. a little chill just thinking about yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. It like the memory yeah. feels it was like a sleigh. A, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Like I say, people pay room. money to do that. Yeah. yeah. And here or we were doing it. Down. We were getting paid. Yeah.
1: The hardship was part of the pleasure of that life. I remember how Jim and Judy both recoiled from the performance aspect of the job. They knew dudes would be happy to pay to come and spend a vacation doing this work, but they weren't interested in selling the experience. Doing the work was reward in itself. But Judy says that all changed when ranching became mechanized.
4: The only time I remember Jim ever saying the F word was when it was followed by John Deere.
1: (laughs) 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 When we return the story of life on the Grizzly Ranch after the arrival of the tractor. Support for Middle of Everywhere comes from Kentucky Humanities. An affiliate of the National Endowment for the Humanities, Kentucky Humanities is dedicated to bringing the humanities to classrooms and communities across the state, promoting literacy and civil discourse, building pride in the Commonwealth,
4: and telling all of Kentucky's stories. Learn more at kyhumanities.org.
1: Judy and Jamie have fond memories of running a ranch on horsepower.
4: But we would come in after chores and we would have all these stories about, you know, the bridle broke or, you know, something happened and this horse did this or this horse did that. Or it's, everything was, you know, something always happened that was exciting or there was always something to talk about. But once we got the tractors, that all stopped. It wasn't the, the, the camaraderie that we had.
1: Tractors are expensive. So is land. Ranchers and farmers are now in debt at historically high levels, and the pandemic hasn't helped. They might love this work, but they don't love how it looks in the bank account. There's a guy I've talked to a lot of times about how fast ranching is changing, Jim McGagna. He's with the Wyoming Stock Growers Association and grew up on a ranch himself. He's an older gentleman, almost always in a cowboy hat, even on Zoom.
5: I have to admit, I get a little bit (laughs) nostalgic sometimes because you and I both think of the cowboy as the fellow with the big hat on his horse riding across the countryside. Uh, Today, more and more of our ranchers, the cowboy is the fellow on the four-wheeler or the motorbike going around the cattle. That's not even the end of it. It can be The rancher is sitting there with his drone sending it out to check on the cattle. And even increasingly, in a few cases, I'm aware of in Wyoming, it's the rancher out in his helicopter moving his cattle. So what being a cowboy means today is not the same thing that it did 100 years ago. There's a lot that ranchers are having to adjust to. The number one at the top of my list would be drought. Mm -hmm. And that's had a significant impact it reached the point this year that some of our ranchers actually had to sell off breeding stock. And that's unusual and not easy to recover from. So that's a factor as we're trying to get new and younger people into ranching because the age of our average rancher is, grow- is growing. Uh, the price of land, uh, the, the market price of land in Wyoming and in most of the West today at least, is not reflective of its value for producing livestock. It has other values that we can't compete with, so that becomes another challenge.
1: Not to mention that most ranching kids aren't like Jamie. They move away to find less backbreaking work, and so there's no one to run things when the older generation can't do it anymore. When they go, these kids often keep the costume, the hat and the boots and the pickup truck, but not the lifestyle, kind of like Jake, A cowboy, but not a rancher. All of this just doesn't match our image of the invincible cowboy. But neither does this.
2: Public lands ranching provides less than 3% of the beef consumed in the United States. So it's not as if this is a major market force driver for the beef industry overall in the United States. Josh Osher
1: is not what you'd call a fan of the cowboy myth even though he grew up in montana and like me was steeped in it from a young age he's with western watersheds a conservation group that's working to limit overgrazing of cattle on public lands and that means that part of his job is busting up the cowboy myth
2: most beef is not produced in the west western united states i mean the states that are considered the cowboy states are not the big beef producers in the country um, most beef is produced in the midwest and in texas and in florida and in other states where grass grows year round and um, and there's more water.
1: Josh says, "We have this perception that states like Wyoming, the so-called cowboy state, make all their money from raising cattle. But that's another myth."
2: It's a it's a drop in the bucket for almost any county's income statistics. You could look anywhere in the west. And public lands ranching tends to contribute less than a percent of the total income for that county and and just a handful of jobs. It's not a major economic driver anywhere you look.
1: And Josh says the ranching industry isn't just not making money, it's also costing money in the form of government subsidies on the taxpayer's dime.
2: I can't open a restaurant and serve food that my community doesn't want to eat and expect the government to support that restaurant and keep it in business. You know, if the ranchers in the West can't make it because it's not profitable, you know, it's really the cowboy myth and the policies of the U.S. to support that that keep propping them up.
1: Here in the cowboy state where I live, only 2% of the state's total GDP comes from ranching. In northern Colorado, Judy and Jamie can attest to this too. These days, a family can't make all their money just from ranching.
4: You have to have a wife with a good job in town, yeah. I'm telling you. If you're going to do it. And, you, know, yeah. you, just, you can live that life, but one of you have to have yeah. a job that pays the bills. Yeah, I did the same thing, yeah. you know, started waiting tables and, and uh, you know, working for the neighbors and stuff like that.
1: Eventually, Judy got a job in Steamboat, an hour's drive away over a treacherous mountain pass so that she could get health insurance for the family.
4: And we were getting older and needed it. Yeah. Good thing you had us. Good thing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: What my mom and Judy are talking about there is that after a lifetime of smoking, Jim developed lung cancer. Jamie took care of her dad while Judy commuted back and forth to Steamboat to work as a UPS delivery driver. Jamie stayed with him at home until he passed away. But even in the end, Jim defied the stereotypes.
4: And then when he got sick, and then actually when I had TJ, he would sit and hold that baby mm-hmm. and take care of him and and was very kind, was always thanking me. It's hard to
1: imagine great-grandpa Jake with a baby in his arms. By constantly hitting the road, he protected his wild and free persona. Looking back, I realize how much my dad and all of us we put Jake on a pedestal. When he refused to attend Judy's wedding, I remember being confused. I think it was then, for me, that he toppled. Jake's version of the cowboy was the toughest of the tough. But when you look closer at what the rancher does all day, it requires a gentle hand. Gretel Ehrlich explained this in her book The Solace of Open Spaces. She says, quote, ranchers are midwives, hunters, nurturers, providers and conservationists all at once. What we've interpreted as toughness, weathered skin, calloused hands, a squint in the eye and a growl in the voice only masks the tenderness inside. All of those years of demanding labor were hard on Judy's body too. She had a couple knee replacements. One day, walking her dog, she fell and the artificial knee slipped and cut through an artery she lay in the street, bleeding internally. She was flown to Denver to save the leg, but in the end, her left leg was amputated. It didn't keep Judy from moving back to her ranch the minute she could, though. Now, she's helping to homeschool her grandson, TJ. Jamie's husband works on this Silver Spur, owned by John Malone, the telecommunications tycoon. Jamie has to have a job to keep the whole family afloat, but Judy's helping out. They both say it's what they have to do to live this close to the land.
4: It's the life, man, it's the life. Because I have, you know, I've had another job where you're working for the man and it's just like you bust your butt all day long and there's no reward in it. Where if you go out there and bust your butt out there taking care of cows and 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 or even putting up the hay, it's so rewarding, just such a rewarding life. I can get on a saddle
1: horse and ride all day. Kind of makes you want to saddle up, right? But we're not finished busting the myths around cowboys. One of the big ones is that they're originally European immigrant farmers who adapted their practices for the American West. Nope, not even kinda. Next time on The Great Individualist, we trace the true beginnings of the cowboy way of life back to the Mexican vaquero.
3: The American cowboy adapted the shafts, uh, the boots, style of boots they got from them, the saddle they got from the, the vaquero, uh, the method of working cattle, rounding up, having uh, roundups in the spring and fall.
1: What do you wish people understood about the realities of ranching? Let us know on social media at Modern West Pod or email us at themodernwestpod at gmail.com. I'm Melody Edwards. Tennessee Watson is our story editor. Our sound designer is Charles Fournier. Noah Greenspan is assistant producer. Anna Rader is our marketing coordinator. Thanks also for help from Sarah Ann Leverett and Annika Pelkey. Original music for this season by Julian Saperidi. Our theme song is by Screen Door Porch. The Modern West is a production of PRX and Wyoming Public Media.